All right, so I'm sticking with my carol theme this morning, and I reckon, Alan, this might be a particular favour of yours. I don't know, Mariah Carey seems to come out once a year around Christmas time. I, I can tell, I can tell. I had a roommate who was obsessed with Mariah Carey. Um, I don't want a lot for Christmas, there's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know. It's a classic, but a goodie. And what I want to share with you this morning is that that is kind of God's carol for us. All he wants for Christmas is us. Many years ago, I came across a gentleman who was at the Strand and he was looking um, just really down in the dumps and I thought I'd go across and have a chat to him. And it turned out that he had just been released from prison and then I looked around to make sure there was enough people in my close vicinity and continued talking to him. And I just remember, you know, I kind of heard a bit about his story and what was going on and um, I tried to shift the conversation to talk about God and he immediately stopped me and said, look, God doesn't want anything to do with me. If he knows my past, he knows the things I've done, um, you know, there's no hope for me. And while we might not be in that same sort of physical experience of, of being in prison and being released, I guess it, at times for all of us, we kind of rehash past mistakes. We kind of feel inadequate and we, we go back to times where we remember mistakes that we had made, sins that we committed, and wonder how it is that God could possibly still love us, knowing us inside and out. Many people are trapped by their past mistakes. Romans 12.10 says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And that's, so John is using the name for Satan, the accuser, because that's what he does. Satan uses the past that we have and continually brings it up before us. We know for many of us that God has forgiven that, but it doesn't stop Satan from going back into our past and pulling out mistakes that we've made and reminding us that we're inadequate, that we're worthless, that we're not good enough. But if only in that moment we knew the true extent of his love, if only that guy on the beach realized how much God loved him, he might be able to accept the forgiveness that God provides. In spite of our failures, in spite of our sin, or rather because of our sin, um, Satan tries to convince that our value is tied up in how good we are, but God loves us in spite of all of that. And my, my dad used to collect notes. He was, he, you know, he'd get pristine money and he'd put it away into a, a photo album. And we were flicking through the photo album the other day and uh, I came up with this $5 note and it was, it was mint, it was pristine. And it occurred to me that that beautiful $5 note has exactly the same value as a $5 note that's been carried around the wallet for ages. The plastic note doesn't get so dest- destroyed these days, but you know, it's, even if it's crum- crumpled up and I researched, and if you cut 20% off that $5 note, it still is worth $5. And for us, we're, we like things that are pretty. You know, if you get one of those gold $2 coins that are all shiny because they've just been printed, like we feel like that should be worth more. But in truth, when you present it over the counter, it's still worth the exact same amount. And sometimes for us, we think as we've been knocked around a bit because we've had the edges taken off that were worth less. But to the creator, to the person who made us, our value doesn't diminish. 
And our value is not in how we appear, on how good we are, or how good we are not, but in the fact that we were created with a purpose by a Messiah who loves us. You know, it doesn't matter about the knocks, the scrapes, the bruises. We still have value because God loved us and he made us. Now, I really wanted to dive in a bit into John chapter 1 today. And John is a bit different from the other guys. They, they call Matthew, Mark and Luke the synoptic gospels because they kind of are similar in their approach. But John, I guess maybe it's because he's a, he's a bit older when he wrote this. I think it was about 80, 60 that he, he penned this. But he's a little bit old, a bit more mature. And he comes to the approach, it's, it's a theological approach to, to um, the message of Jesus, whereas the, the Synoptic Gospels come at it from a historical approach and then they tie in the theology. But from the very beginning, you can sense that John is a bit of a different book. In the beginning, the Word already existed. Now, Word seems a bit of a funny choice, but John is being quite clever there. He's appealing to the Greeks because... The Greeks had the word logos, which is the word, and for them it, it meant um, the rational principle that governed the world. For the Jews, the Jews already kind of associated the word with being a reference to God. So in saying that in the beginning the word already existed, uh, John is picking up both camps, and the word in this case is Jesus. Now I want to show you a quick video. This is a bit funny, and I'm guessing you probably haven't made the same mistake. But just as a way of a bit of an intro, I'm going to show you a video.
I do like those guys. And um, you know, they're connecting the baby Jesus with the, the resurrected Jesus. But John's purpose in writing, um, writing his book is to connect Jesus with being God the same. Um, in the beginning was the Word. John is linking the dots for, at a deeper level. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Jesus' beginning is not in the stable. It's at the start of time and even before time began. He, he's been this, at the start, the creator. He made everything including you. He knows the three billion base pairs that make up your DNA, the good genes, the faulty genes. Everyone go like that. Oh, looking at genetic traits. So if you're like me, this is called the hitchhiker's thumb. It's where your thumb kind of points backwards. Genetic fault. Luckily for most of you, I think you're okay. There's another one with hair, but we won't go there. So God knows you intimately. He knows how you were put together and he loves you all the same. He's the same Jesus that was born in the manger, the same Jesus that is the creator. He's the source of light and life. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought life to everyone. He needed to, to come because the problem that we face is a problem of death and darkness. The darkness that the world faces in, is sin. Sin likes to be concealed. And when sin is untreated, it leads to spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. I love that picture. You know, it never occurred to me, but if you get a light and you shine the light in the darkness, the darkness is never so strong that it kind of fights back in the light. You know, the light, the battery dies. But when the light is working, the darkness never overcomes it. And the light that Jesus brings to the world is a, a, a light that cannot be overcome. And Christmas celebrates the time that Jesus came into the world to share that light with everyone. And that was kind of John's purpose. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Did anyone ever see Undercover Boss, the show Undercover Boss? Between 2010, I think, and 2013, it was the highest rated uh, reality TV show. I guess after 2013, people started realizing when uh, someone came in that was new to work and there was a video camera, things were up and it was a bit sus. But it's this great show where you had multi-million dollar people in an organization that, you know, the, the guy that's right at the top, at the pinnacle, coming down and working in a store and, and pretending to learn the ropes and work in their own businesses. You know, the CEOs would hide their identities. And I guess part of the appeal of this kind of a show was that you had someone who was, you know, so far up there coming down to this low level and seeing how they go. I remember I, I watched a little clip as a refresher the other day and they had this CEO, obviously he was a sports organization, um, hadn't been buying a lot of what he was selling. And so the, the guy had him, the trainer had him um, putting up signs and things and had climbing up a ladder. And he's, he's getting up the ladder, and he's looking a bit shaky and then he's putting stickers on bags and he's sliding on his, on his bottom to put these stickers on the, the slides because he's not super fit, not agile. But you know, that was kind of the appeal of the show is that having someone who was up there coming down here. And I guess you can't get much bigger 
from creator to the manger. There's, there's no greater step or jump that you could make from being the creator of the universe to being a humble baby in a manger. And it wasn't like, like Jesus lauded his position either. Uh, he was the most humble man that's ever lived because, I guess, to be God and to, to humble yourself as a man is the biggest step you can take. You know, he gave us the example of washing the disciples' feet. No larger chasm could ever be crossed than the one that Jesus made for us. And yet John picks up on the irony. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. He left it behind for people who wouldn't even accept him. What would cause him to make that kind of a leap? What was the motivation for Jesus to leave heaven to come and to be on earth with us? In July of 2020, a father and son went off on a fishing trip. In a year that probably couldn't have got much, got much worse, they went out on a, a trip and they're out in the middle of the ocean and in the middle of this trip, a giant great white shark leapt out of the water and grabbed this 10-year-old boy from the boat and pulled him into the water. That's about as scary as you get. As a father, you, always, you tell your kids, look, you're in the boat, you're safe. Nothing's going to get you. And here this great white shark jumps out and grabs the boy out of the boat. Luckily, he was wearing his, his life, life jacket, which is a good, good reminder. Always wear the life jacket so you don't know when a great white shark's going to jump out of the water. Grabbed him, pulled him into the boat. Uh, sorry, pulled him into the water. Do you know what happened next? Did you guys read the story? Quick as a flash, Dad jumps into the water and grabs this boy. And I don't know, it was a splashing... Um, the fact that the dad, maybe the shark had just disorientated for a second, but in that moment, the father grabbed the boy and dragged him back into the boat. I wonder what the motivation was for the dad to leave that lovely, comfy boat and jump into the shark-infested water. What would cause someone to have that level of, of disregard for their own safety at the cost of someone else? And I guess we, we all know the answer for that, that love is the motivator. And in the reports, they didn't give any details about the, the child's behavior. They didn't say, you know, the day before, this child was so well behaved and that's why the dad jumped into the water. They didn't say that this child had been horrible and in spite of that horrible behavior, the dad jumped in the water. The truth is it wouldn't have mattered how good or bad the child had been because the father's love was big enough to bridge the gap between the boat and the shark and the water. And you know, we have the same Father in heaven who wants that gap filled, wants that, that gap reduced. I want you to grasp the depth of the leap that was made on your behalf, the demonstration of love that the birth in the stable marks for each one of us. From the highest heavens to the back streets of Bethlehem, from the beginning of time, you have been on the Father's mind. And we often think in terms of, of God coming for, you know, for people, for the earth. But the truth is that he died, he came to earth and died for each of you. If you were the only person on the face of the planet, Jesus still would have jumped in to save you. Isaiah 43 says this from verse 5. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. 
Everyone who calls my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. God loves his children and he longs to bring them in to himself. And continuing in John 1, To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And it reminds me of the verse that we all really know well, John 3.16, Because he loved the world so much, because of his great love, he came for us, because he longs to gather his children in to himself. Jesus came to earth for you. So the word became human or became flesh and made his home or ta- tent or tabernacle or earthly building filled with the glory of God among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen the glory. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted the crowds, this is the one I was talking about, someone who's coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before before me and from this abundance we've all received one gracious blessing after another and that's the father's heart it's not just to bless us once but to continually bless us and the beauty of his love is that it's it's the light that pierces the darkness it doesn't matter how many times we stuff up how many times we walk away how many times we sin he's right there waiting with open arms ready to draw us back in that forgiveness that knows no end because he loves us with a father's love with a father's heart when satan reminds you that you're not worthy when he brings up your past failures when he says you can't be forgiven this time remember that god traversed the universe for you because of your past mistakes remember that god loves you with a love that is undying with a light that can't be faded he loves you so much that he left heaven for you. And from his abundance, we've all received one gracious, gracious blessing after another. And Christmas is that ultimate reminder of the love that's caused him to leave earth. I, I know it's, it's not a long sermon this morning, which you might be grateful for, but it's a really important part. It's a really important point that we recognize that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. And Christmas is that ultimate reminder that he left heaven for you. And I can just imagine God singing this. Um, it's going to be in, you know, in beautiful harmony and it doesn't happen just once a year, but it's an ongoing thing. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know. And that's God to each of us saying that he loves us And the reason that he came from heaven to earth is for you. So don't forget that this year. Dear Heavenly Father, it's it's hard for us to comprehend when we think about your selfless act, your death on the cross that started long, I guess it started back at the beginning, but was realized when you came to earth and then when you died on the cross, the love that you showed us. You left heaven and you humbled yourself for us. Please forgive us, Lord, when we take that for granted, when we forget what you've done for us. Help us to remember that it's in spite of our sinfulness that you came. That was the reason, not the thing that should separate us from you. We thank you for your love that is enduring, that is undying, and that was represented for us 
at this beautiful holiday that we celebrate each year. So I pray that you would remind us, Lord, that each of us is worthy, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done for us. And we thank you for that love. In your precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let me read a final verse for you. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. Amen.